Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Declan Walden. Declan is the Deputy Director for Trinity Research and Innovation and Head of the Office of Corporate Partnership and Knowledge Exchange at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. Before his time at Trinity College, Declan worked for Air Products and Chemicals, Inc. as Global Director of Technology for Merchant Gases, and prior to that, as General Manager for Air Products Healthcare, UK and Ireland. Declan has a BA in Natural Sciences and Chemistry and a PhD in Organometallics and Carbon Nanotechnology from Trinity College, Dublin, and a Diploma in Company Direction from the Institute of Directors in Ireland. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Declan. Lisa, thanks so much for having me. Great fan of the show. and It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much, Declan, for being here and taking part in the podcast. Uh, I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Trinity College in Dublin? Uh, yeah, it's really been a big full circle story. Um, I'm originally from Dublin, Ireland, and completed my degree in natural sciences and PhD at Trinity College Dublin in the 90s. Really exciting time if you're working on carbon nanotech, all those nanotubes and fullerenes, all of that happening at the same time. So I did my PhD with Dave Carden and postdoc with Werner Blau. And during my postdoc, um, I answered a job advert, which was on the back page of the uh, New Scientist magazine. And it was for what was essentially an innovation scout for an American company that I'd never heard of before, a company called Air Products and Chemicals Incorporated from Allentown, Pennsylvania. And um, they had a large presence in Europe. And so got that job, started off at the Science Park in York University in the UK, and moved family over. So we started a new life there. And then basically spent the next 20 years in a variety of roles globally in the UK, uh, the US, China, Europe, working in that company in a number of leadership roles in healthcare and in industrial gases. Uh, and eventually, eventually found the courage to move back to Dublin uh, and was taken on by Trinity into a new position um, that was created. It's the Office of Corporate Partnership and Knowledge Exchange, which is a clumpy enough title, but it does what it says on the tin. And I've been there for uh, the last four and a half years. So full circle. Wow, that's really a very incredible journey. And now for those of our listeners who are not familiar with Trinity Research and Innovation at Trinity College of Dublin, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, sure. I mean, Trinity Research Innovation, in a nutshell, um, supports academics and research centers to win research funding and then to capture, protect and socialize or commercialize the resulting IP. That's in a, a very small nutshell. And that's that's done through three offices. Uh, the, we have the Research Development Office, which supports researchers 
by providing information and advice on sources of research funding and calls. We have a contracts office, always the most maligned office in any university I've ever gone to visit, really busy all of the time, very, very uh, processed, transactional. Uh, And they push through about 1,100 contracts uh, a year. And then in my own area, the Office of Corporate Partnership and Knowledge Exchange, um, our mission is to promote Trinity as a partner of choice for industry and business, to support the access to our intellectual property and to provide knowledge-based services to companies. So we're responsible for managing the university's IP to impact, uh, generating research partnerships and academic consultancy. Now, Declan, when I was doing my research for this podcast, I learned that Trinity houses one of the largest hubs of industry accessible R&D infrastructure in Ireland. So I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about some of the unique and enabling infrastructure that's available to industry as part of the collaborative research programs or service agreements? Sure. Um, Trinity has a very long and successful record of industry partnering. I think it's in our DNA at this stage. So having a suite of world-class infrastructure is a prerequisite for industry collaboration, whether that's with global multinationals like Johnson & Johnson or with indigenous Irish companies, um, small, medium enterprises that are looking, for instance, looking at the latest MRI imaging equipment to develop medical device technology. So we have world-leading infrastructure in a whole range of areas. I'll mention a few, the advanced microscopy lab with helium ion microscopes, um, high definition or high um, performance computing, 3D visualization, MRI imaging recording. But, you know, you can go on and list equipment. It gets a bit boring after a few of the, a few of the big ones. I think what's much more important is to have an academic community that is keen to work with industry and sees the distinct benefits of doing so and how that translates into uh, more success in research funding and, and better teaching experiences for undergrads and postgrads. So we have academics um, spread across three faculties. We have uh, FEMS, which is the STEM faculty, Health Sciences and Arts, Humanities, Social Sciences, uh, 23 schools. And then in you know where we get uh, aggregations of specialities and uh, where PIs come together to work on particular topics, we have five research institutes. And in conjunction with that, um, Science Foundation Ireland, which is the national foundation for investing in uh, science and engineering research, has 17 national centres around Ireland, which are multidisciplinary teams from uh, multiple universities. And three of those national centres are located physically on the campus in Dublin in Trinity. Um, Amber, which is Advanced Materials and Biomed, Adapt, which is um, AI-driven digital technology, uh, and Connect, which is around future networks and communication. So th- we have those physically l- located at Trinity. And I think there's also a, another centre uh, called Learnovate, which is Enterprise Ireland sponsored, which is about edtech. But I think the combination of infrastructure, of having academics willing and experienced to work with industry, and then having that layered structure of expertise is what um, makes it very attractive for industry to work with Trinity. Yeah, it really is incredible all that's going on there at Trinity. And in fact, I know there's a number of funding opportunities that are available to campus companies and spin out. So could you tell us a little bit about some of those as well? Sure. And I'll break it into um, pre and post spin out activity because it's different depending on what side of the coin you're on. Um, In Ireland, we have an agency called Enterprise Ireland. It's a government agency that's responsible for supporting the development and growth of Irish businesses into world markets. um, The agency offers a a range of support specifically aimed at developing research into commercialization potential at universities. So the commercialization funds that they um, manage are 
probably the primary source of funding for creating spin-outs from research in Ireland. And typically, a commercialization fund would be between 400 and 800,000 euros. So right in the, the money spot to get something done in terms of pre-spin-out. There's also other funding. Um, there's competitive start funding, uh, which are smaller amounts, all but all geared you know, to um, get a project that has potential to be commercial onto that commercialization funding track. There's also European funding. Uh, European Research Council offers um, proof of concept funding, which is very much a gold standard in Europe. Uh, and European Horizon, which is just kicking off the next program of that, has a you know a big steer towards innovation as well. So everything about taking the project in the lab to a sort of commercialization stage, um, there's a very healthy ecosystem here in Ireland to do that. But then when you get then to what we call the valley of death, so you've done your commercialization project, right? Um and you're stepping out, you formed a company, and suddenly you're looking at, well, where is, you know, what, what do we do now? Um, that's very much um, a, a dangerous area for many, many spin-outs across the world fail in, in that space. And Enterprise Ireland, uh, again, will, will come in and co-invest with spin-outs in that space. They're one of the lar- Europe's largest investors in startup companies. Um, there's also a European Institute of Innovation and Technology called EIT, which is an agency of European Union that help out. But we in Ireland, we have a relatively small number of VCs who are experienced in deep tech seed funding in that valley of death. Um, so recognizing that issue back in 2016, Trinity got together with uh, University College Dublin, which at the time was the largest university in, in Ireland, to create what we call the University Bridge Fund. Uh, the goal was to create a fund specifically aimed at spin-outs from Irish universities in that valley of death period. And uh, with very uh, large support from the European Investment Fund, from Enterprise Ireland, two of the big banks here, but also the universities put skin in the game. We created a 60 million euro fund. Uh, We appointed Atlantic Bridge to be the GP for that. Um, But like I say, it's important the universities take an active part in that as well. So that five-year, the first five-year period, uh, for seed investment that's just finished. Um, so all 25 companies in that portfolio, between them, those 25 companies have raised 120 million euros in equity and non-equity funding. Uh, it proves the scheme is very successful. So, But the, the first five is just finished. So now what do we do? So we've started at the beginning of the year University Bridge Fund 2. Uh, we've brought on another university, University College Cork. So now there's three of the major universities in Ireland with skin in the game. Again, European Investment Fund, Enterprise Ireland, Allied Irish Bank. Uh, we aim for that to be an 80 million euro fund. We're well on the way. We're in the 70s now. Um, and again, Atlantic Bridge leading the GP of that. So they've made their first investment in, and it's a Trinity spin out called Pervalis. Um, so well on the way to getting that going. But the really important, I mean, it, it's important to have the funding there, absolutely. But what we were really looking for in parallel to the funding was a cultural change was to develop the skill sets within the university of dealing with uh, in the VC community, et cetera. And I, I think in the first five years, we, we've very much achieved that goal and looking forward to the next fund um, and to the success of the companies in, in the first portfolio. So there's a lot happening in, in that space in Ireland right now. Yeah, congratulations. It sounds like the University Bridge Fund 1 was tremendously successful and it'll be interesting to watch. We'll have to have you back on in a couple of years and see how fund number two is doing, but it sounds like you got sure. off to a great start, but it, it sounds like uh, the second fund is off to uh, as good a start as well. So that's 
that's fantastic. I mean, I would say to, you know, we be- we really believe that there's great value for investors in Irish spin-outs at universities. We believe that they're undervalued uh, for many different factors. So we had spent a lot of time just pre-COVID uh, working in the UK and working on the East Coast of the US, talking to investors, trying to attract them into our ecosystem. And um, COVID put an end to all of that, of course. So we have run online events. Um, Emma O'Neill, one of our, our staff, uh, ran a very successful one, but nothing makes up for that sort of human contact in that space. No, definitely not. So Declan, I wanted to turn back to your office here for a second. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your office and some detail and how it's structured. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, it's called the Office of Corporate Partnership and Knowledge Exchange. Um, and that, that's very much what it does. I think the there are three uh, components within the office, which when they're vertically integrated, we believe make it very easy for our academic community and industry partners and public service to work uh, amongst each other. So that was the, you know, the mission of the college was to make it as permeable, uh, as open as possible for everyone to work together. Um, we have a knowledge transfer team, which is um, eight, nine people supported through a five-year program in Ireland. We have what we call the technology transfer strengthening initiative. We're in the third phase of that, just coming to the end of it. And that's an initiative um, from Enterprise Ireland, uh, which um, houses Knowledge Transfer Ireland, which is run by Alison Campbell, who many of your listeners will know uh, was the chairperson of Autumn just before Mark Saddam's tenure. Um, And Alison Campbell um, has really been responsible on her team for an uplift in KT performance through three of those periods of time. It was started just after the last recession when government realized we really needed to put effort in here. So a fantastic set of programs. We're now looking at uh, going into TTSI4 and seeing how that shapes up. So within the team itself, we have four case managers, um, Gordon, Emma, Graham and John, who are responsible for materials engineering, um, pharma, um, um, ICT and translational medicine. And they really own, you know, Alpha to Omega from sort of pre-IDF all the way through. That's that that's their their sectors. But what's unique, I think, uh, is that we've built up specialities around the team. Uh, particularly, we have Sam Williams as a dedicated licensing manager, and Neil Gordon as a dedicated spin-out manager. And so, when when that the activity with any one team and um, piece of IP is starting to get into a commercialization phase, they will come on board then uh, and, and you know, en- enrich the process and push it through. And that's been very successful. And then in the back office, you know, we've a great ops manager and Tony, uh, we've a new position in IP development manager, that's uh, IFA, And that role is really about developing new services for our academic staff based around IP, so landscaping, etc. And then Lynn and Kate, who really take care of all of the NDAs, MTAs, DTAs, which, you know, administratively can be complicated and burdensome. So a relatively small team, but works very, very well in that structure. The industry team then is a team of four people, Chris Keeley, Audrey, Juan, and Tony. Tony's now moving from the knowledge transfer team into the industry team, which is great to see. But they're responsible for all the client management for a range of industry clients from the multi-million MNC repeat customer down to a small SME who comes in for one transaction and out. And they've done in the last five years over 600 uh, transactions with industry partners. Very, very busy. Um, Really, you know, COVID really knocked the stuffing out of that, uh, I think, for everybody. But for a team that's so outwardly looking, uh, really difficult time. Um, And then we have a relatively new unit in academic consultancy. And that's uh, Joanne and Kate. 
um, on that. And we brought that in just three years ago. Um, and it was to really to encourage academics to get engaged in a more formal process of consultancy, because that very often is the very first engagement the client will have with the university. Um, and we were building up a great head of steam pre-COVID. Um, we then offered, during COVID, we offered a free consultancy service for anything related to COVID. Uh, and there was a number of people who picked up on that. But I think one of the real successes in that as well is that Kate is in that team, focuses on arts, humanities and social sciences. It's an area that, you know, knowledge transfer doesn't particularly play very well in or often, but what consultancy is, is, is a fantastic window into those schools about what they're interested in doing and how they wish to work. And so we're using that as a sort of a platform to expand activities, uh, knowledge transfer activities into arts, humanities and social sciences. So those three units work very clo closely together in one team and you know, what we hope is that clients see just one service from Trinity, uh, irrespective of, of uh, what they're trying to do. Um, and we've been doing that since 2017, roughly. Um, but I'll also mention, if I can, a number of the new initiatives, uh, because, we're, you know, you, you've got to keep reinventing yourselves and what the office does. Benchmarking is really important, right? Uh, because we have to prove to ourselves and to the people who fund us and support us that what we're doing is of a standard and is improving. And so a piece of work, um, I'm sure you're, you're aware of uh, the Bush Institute, which is uh, part of the policy unit of, um, uh, of the Bush Center out of uh, the Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Um, Callum Clark's, Callum Clark's team there in 2019 published a really interesting piece of policy work on the impact of innovation uh, done at universities on the economy in the US. And we, we picked up on that. And we liked it so much that we picked up the phone and talked to his team about how they did it, etc. And we're very impressed, not just with the findings, because we clearly agreed with all of them, they were fantastic, but also with um, the methodology they used. It was very well done. It was, uh, the, the statistics was great in it. And, and so we were interested in that and trying to see how Trinity would perform looking at that. So what they'd done was looked at five years of data, which is really important, not just one year, but five years of data from autumn and from the universities and created an index based on the size of your university's research expenditure, because there's little point of comparing some university that spends 100 million versus a university spends 5 billion or a system, and categorized them in there, but also looked at efficiency. So not just your productivity, how much you're putting out, but how efficient you are versus research dollar. Um, and so we managed to convince them that we could do something with the Trinity numbers and replicate that, and we were very, very happy with the output of that. Um, in our, you know, Trinity spends just over 100 million a year uh, on research. And so we're in that 100 million to 350 million bracket. Uh, and we punched well above our weight in there. So really pleased with that. But that's work that's ongoing in a European context. And in fact, we're talking to Cullum and his team in Bush again tomorrow. Um, we've started an open source project office within our own team. Um, we also have Embark, which is a, a very, a very pre-seed pre funding uh, effort to try and get um, academics who traditionally haven't worked in commercialization to try and get them interested. We've just come through one cycle of that very, very successful. So there's this series of new things that we're always trying to do to improve our service level uh, and, and our impact. Wow, Declan, that's incredible, all the activities and people that you have in your office. I'm really curious to know, can you tell us about how many invention disclosures, patent filings, revenue generating agreements, royalty income, and other metrics your office has had perhaps in the last five years? Yeah, and thanks for asking the last five, because any 
any one year is too lumpy, right? And particularly with the last year being COVID. I mean, we're we're actually seeing now it's a slight drop off in IDFs related to inactivity last year because uh, our our academics were, um, well, in some areas, research stopped. Uh, but also the teaching load became very, very heavy because this switch to online teaching created a huge workload on the academic staff who simply didn't have time for anything else. So we expect to see a drop off. But um, the top line numbers over five years, uh, 317 IDFs, 97 patent applications, 75 patents granted, uh, approximately 600 commercial agreements, 111 licenses, options, assignments, 24 spin-outs of which 15 high performance. So Anyone who's you know knows uh, this game will quickly start doing the ten five two sums. You know the this this uh, paradigm where it, it takes two million euros for an IDF, five million euros for a patent, etc., and start dividing, and they'll see that you know our patenting rate um, is would be below what people would see, but that's because we are quite strict on patenting. Um, every year we hold an event where we bring in external auditors who will go through our portfolio with our case managers in a matrix, a two by two, and anything that falls into the bottom left-hand side is culled. Um, and we, wow. we do that to keep the portfolio active and clean and meaningful. And that allows us to go back and talk to academics and say, look, here's the reason why we're not following this. Um, but it's 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 externally validated. I think, but what, what we miss in the numbers, because we all like playing the numbers game, is quality, right? And um, so we set about in 2017 looking at, well, what do the numbers mean in terms of impact? Um, and if we take spin-outs for a start-off, so we can, we can hit the numbers on spin-outs, five, five a year, thereabouts. But what, you know, do, do they last longer than 12 months? What do they generate for um, the economy? What do they generate in terms of jobs? And we were looking around for a quality uh, indicator quality marker for that and we didn't have to go far because Enterprise Ireland have what they call a high performance startup um, spin out and that's a company that has the potential to within three years create 10 jobs have revenues above a million um, have export potential and scale and also have an experienced management team so if you fall in that bracket the state then doubles down on your efforts because uh, they're really what they want to do when you get a lot more services and you get a lot more support. So we just made that our quality mark and said, Oh, wow. You know, not every spin out is going to be a HPSU. We understand that, but those that can, and we push very, very hard for that. So typically four out of five will be. So in the last uh, five years, we have 15, I think 16 just going out now, HPSUs from that. So that's the highest performance level in Ireland on HPSUs. And that's having an effect now in terms of because Enterprise Ireland have realised that HPSUs coming from universities have that extra thing about them. And uh, so that's a quality mark that makes a difference. On licensing, of course, um, the numbers are there, uh, I think. But who are we licensing to and et cetera? So we looked at, you know, 58%, 60% of our licences are to companies in Ireland. So we know we're licensing to in support of the economy in Ireland. 30% of our licensing are repeat business. And that we really like because that's people coming back and saying we got value the first time exactly. back again. Yeah. So so we use those as quality marks um, in spin-outs and in licensing. And that's really important to us as we sort of broaden the definition of impact beyond the numbers, you know, and break away from that 1052 paradigm. Um, because it's too narrow a focus, we believe. So I mean, a great example of that, one of our most recent spin-outs, a company called Way to Be, um, they've developed a technical aid which is via a smartwatch 
that helps people who need help in being independent to move around. So instead of having a, another person show them the way to the shops or the way to school, uh, there's a technical aid which will give them that security and comfort in being independent. Absolutely fabulous company, right? Social innovation driven business model. The issue is if you just talk the numbers, it doesn't fit into many of the numbers, right? Right. But it's but it's something that we have to do. We have to be seen to support. Yeah. And the cultural change around KT to do that, to reflect sort of the broader societal benefits. And not only that, but demonstrate impact of what we do is, you know, is what we do increasing the amount of money going into research? Is it increasing the amount of researchers? Is it increasing the amount of investment capital? Um, all of these things need to be looked at in what we do. And most importantly, like what we do has to be part of the strategy of our institution, right? And that strategy of the institution should in some way be aligned to state policy. And so making sure that all those things are lined up, really important to us. But I think that's a really active area for conversation at the moment about broadening innovation indicators and particularly for the KT people. Well, congratulations. Those are some really impressive metrics. And given that, I wanted to ask you, Declan, what do you think is most important in managing innovations to give them the greatest opportunity for success? It's a really tough question. Um, I think there's an internal and external part to the answer. I think having excellent research, you know, the basis of everything there, um, having academics who are engaged in innovation. Uh, it isn't. It doesn't just stop at the lab. They actually want to see this move forward. Um, an integrated team, I really believe that the team we have, the integration between industry and consultancy and KT is important. But there's a team that is professional and passionate, not just about the technology, because we all get that, but also are the scholarship, but also in supporting the research careers of the academic community. You have to be part of that, that pipeline. Having a university leadership that values and promotes academic entrepreneurship and innovation, um, incredibly important. And, and we have that at Trinity. We're very, very lucky to have that. Um, externally, what's really important is the ecosystem, right? I mean, if you don't have one that's supportive, understands risk and, uh, you know, above all has an overriding sort of country policy that, you know, wants to support this activity, have state agencies to do that, have venture capital and risk capital people who know about this and want to be part of it and professional services around that as well, the legal and financial services around it. So, you know, all of those things have to be there in terms of being successful in managing innovations. And um, I think the, you know, if you look at when it comes to spin outs, one of the things is access to executive talent, something that we really struggle with. I mean, we've got great spin outs with executive talent in there, but the more and more we look at our portfolio, the more and more we're getting worried about where's the next CEO coming from? Where is the next, you know, experienced management team coming from? And we're, we're, we're doing something about that, but it will take time. Um, so I think there's, it's one of those answers where there's lots of pieces that have to be there as opposed to two or three, you know, key pieces. So Declan, you mentioned a little bit earlier about some successful partnership with industry, and I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. Can you give us some examples of some relationships that Trinity has with industry or corporate partners? Sure. I think the, um, like I say, we it's something that we've been doing for a long time and well, I think. I mentioned the previous five years we've completed just, uh, it's around 600 uh, industry engagements, separate industry engagements with a really wide range, variety of clients across the whole of, of the college. But one of the most important of these corporate relationships that we have is with Intel Ireland. Um, Intel have had a manufacturing presence in Ireland since 1989. They've invested $22 billion in their infrastructure here uh, and they employ currently about 5,000 people. So 
as such, they have a strategic importance to our country. And Intel have also repeatedly invested in fundamental research at Trinity, which in turn then adds to Intel's corporation's research roadmap. And this in turn opens up other forms of engagement. And that's the really exciting bit about having an engaged partner is everything else you get to do with them. Uh, and one of them is, you know, accessing the talent pipeline of graduates and postgraduates at Trinity is really important. So we're able to show students coming in and graduates that, look, you know, if you're in this particular area, look at the, the industry clients that we work with. Um, the success of that relationship is recognized primarily through our ongoing partnership. I mean, that's the most important thing. But also there's indicators such as um, Trinity's Professor John Boland being a recipient of Intel's Outstanding Research Award, which is awarded from the Corporate Research Council. Um, in addition, with something we're very pleased about last year, our own office uh, with Intel and the research center, the SFI Center Amber, won a Knowledge Transfer Ireland Industry Partnership Award, the award in Ireland. So we're very pleased to um, be part of that with Intel um, as just one example. So would you say having these corporate partners has led to more deals or perhaps differently structured deals or perhaps both? Both, definitely. I think certainly more deals. I mean, because the relationship keeps going and keeps going, right? They see the value and they're 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 able to in some way, you know, steer the the direction that the research is taking, and that that's a reciprocal arrangement. It's very successful. But also, you know, if a client becomes strategic to us, then obviously, you know, we we would look at a framework program. So instead of every time they come to us for a new uh, project, having to press the start button again with all of the administrative side of that and the negotiations, we'll put in a framework program for a set period of time. It could be three years, five years, and everything that comes under that umbrella is much easier to engage with the university on because we can just work with under one contract. So yeah, it leads to more and, and different structures. So I was wondering, do you have much interaction with any philanthropic organizations? Yeah, I mean, philanthropy and alumni engagement plays a huge part for the university. It's different to the U.S. system, um, and it's different in so much as I remember working in in um, in Allentown, and a lot of my colleagues had gone to Penn State, and they would talk about how monthly or yearly they would give back to their alma mater. It was just normal. That type of uh, philanthropy hardly exists in Europe at all. It's it's extremely rare, and so you know you really look at the big organizations and and uh, individuals. Um, so. Obviously, there's the big things like the Wellcome Trust and the Gates Foundation, um, who you know competitive funding, and we we are in there and we we uh, work with them on on several programs. But also, you get things like At Atlantic Philanthropies, which was the Chuck Feeney um, philanthropic effort, and you know we have a wonderful program in Ireland called Tilda. It's the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging. It started 10 years ago. Really, really important program led by Roseanne Kenny. And Atlantic Philanthropies was one of the main funders of that program, along with the Department of Health. Without that money, you know, it, it would have struggled to start. More, more recently, Ryanair, who's, you know, one of the world's biggest airlines, uh, Irish airline, um, donated 1.5 million to set up a sustainable aviation research center. I was wonderful coming from aviation, and especially at such a time for aviation. But as, as well as that, um, you know, Trinity has ambitious, very ambitious plans in terms of major capital development projects, uh, one of them being a new cancer institute for all of Ireland, uh, the other one being what we call E3RI, which is Engineering, Environmental and Emerging Tech Research Institute. And individual, you know, um, families, the, the the Nocton Foundation and the Kinsella family recently have been absolutely wonderfully generous uh, donors, philanthropic donors to those large capital projects. So a range of different uh, efforts around philanthropy, but um, 
really important to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, switching gears a little bit, Declan, I wanted to ask, could you tell us a little bit about some of Trinity's biggest success stories in terms of successful technology, spin-outs, things like that? Yeah, we always like in KT looking back and talking about successes, right? This is the this is the fun part of the game. Um, I think there, in Trinity, uh, there's a, a report every year called Pitchbook, which looks at the success rates around, you know, who's doing what in terms of VC. Uh, and Trinity's graduates, uh, their entrepreneurial performance has been ranked first in Europe um, for the last six years. That's awesome. And that's, that's graduates who have gone out, founded companies and raised venture funding. Um, so there's something in the water, right? Don't quite know what sounds it is. Sounds like it, yeah. It sounds like it. I think the number that they calculate since 2006 to 2020 was 4.8 billion wow. raised by. Um, so there is something there. And and you can look back in history and, you know, without looking too far back, just the post-war years, um, you know, uh, clofazamine, which was uh, a drug that controls leprosy, is still in use today, uh, was one of our first big technological outings from the medical research lab in the chemistry department here. The nicotine patch uh, delivered um, folic acid and its importance to pregnancy was a huge uh, discovery. But I think one of the big ones that got on the map first was Iona Technologies and, and a software company in 1991 went the first Irish company on the NASDAQ, topped off at a valuation at 1.75 billion uh, and led by uh, a lecturer from computer science here, Chris Horn. And when you see that happening and when it's in an American co- context suddenly start to get noticed uh, that was followed probably the next biggest one was havoc which was you know the 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 engine behind many of the gaming big gaming successes in the 2000s and then on the health sciences side um particularly good relationship at roche uh, roche pharmaceuticals genable which was a spin out from trinity professor jane farrar uh, a genetic solution to many uh, rare eye diseases that was acquired by Spark Therapeutics and uh, a year and a half ago was acquired by Roche for $4 billion. More recently, however, uh, probably the biggest, um, definitely the biggest we've ever had and probably the biggest for quite a while was a company called Inflazome. Um, it's a Trinity campus company founded by Luke O'Neill from Trinity and Matt Cooper from the University of Queensland. Um, and that was sold to Roche last year for an upfront payment of 380 million euros. Um, that is, you know, developing drugs that treat a whole range of chronic diseases, all caused by inflammation. So really important that these drugs get to the market. You know, tens and tens of millions of people will do better for them. Um, and I think the, you know, the licensing part of that, which was uh, complicated, was led by Mark Ashton and his team at Uniquest. And we have a really good relationship with them down there in, in Australia. So a, sh- a shout out to Mark and his team there. But um, certainly, you know, that's by far the biggest um, to date. Most recently, uh, one of our spinouts, One Projects, which has a solution for atrial fibrillation, uh, closed an 11 million Series A. So, you know, we, we see an increase in the valuations of our companies going out and the performance. And the looking back, but it's always fun, right? Because it's really, you know, throwing your cards. Absolutely. But I think if you talk to the team today, you know, the focus is totally on what's in the portfolio now. I mean, there's 30 to 40 projects at any one stage there. We're looking, we average about maybe five or six get get you know, taken out a year into a company. So the focus of the team is very much the next three months, six months, who's where, where are the investors, you know, how are we getting the management team together, um, improving quality and consistency of those, of those spinets. Well, Declan, with great success also comes challenges. And I'm curious to know <laughs> what you would say two of Trinity's biggest challenges are. It, it all sounds 
well, I think, you know, you can't, you can't not mention COVID, right? Yeah, uh, both, exactly. Both for personal and professional challenges. I think everybody's really had a hard time. And the impact that that's had on research, uh, the impact that that's had on our individual teams and the ability to do their jobs, relearning how to do your job. I mean, that's been a huge part of it. Right now, in any one year, our industry and consultancy team would be preparing a group of academics from engineering to go to the advanced engineering uh, trade show in the UK, a huge international show that we've attended for a number of years. And we will bring, we will we will buy a stall on it. We'll set up a presence. We'll um, get our consultancy team in, pre-arranged meetings. We'll get uh, our industry team in, pre-arranged talks and meetings with industry and introducing our academics in that space. Really busy few days, great fun as well. Um, and, you know, it really pays for itself for the next year easily. And we'd be getting excited about that. And so how do you replace that type of activity? You don't, you can't. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Emma O'Neill on our team has run a, with uh, Royal College of Surgeons, run a real, really successful program and event of partnering. But the fine tuning you have to do on a platform, you know, you're talking to people for 15, 20 minutes because that's what works on a platform. Whereas, you know, if you're meeting someone in person, it's it's a coffee for a half an hour. And it's all those different dynamics that, yes, we can do well out of, but nothing will replace. I think that's a huge challenge. You can't ignore it, you know. Um, I think after that, I can only do two, right? I, can, I can't do eight. No. <laughs> no, I think we should limit it to two. <laughs> um, I think the it's looking at how the team, how our team becomes more relevant to a wider audience. That's a real challenge for us. So I've mentioned before arts, humanities and social sciences within within the college and our, you know the steps we're taking to be relevant to their success, but also to you know the business school, to Tangent, which is our student entrepreneurship effort here, to our affiliated hospitals. I think the next step is stepping out and broadening those relationships. Uh, and that's a real challenge for us um, in doing that, not just for resources, but it's a different way of working, different cultures. Um, and I think that's that's where our future lies. Um, so I think those two challenges would I'll gamble on being the biggest, right? So switching gears, Declan, I wanted to ask you, does Trinity have any programs to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs? And if so, could you talk about those in a little bit of detail? Sure. Um, I think it's, it's you know, it's an area that's been lots of commentary and lots of uh, research done about it. And it's complex. It's uh, There's many, many different reasons why there is this under-representation. I think a few of them, you know, lack of visible role models is clearly one. Lack of available mentors, under-representation at senior roles, it, particularly in VC and in the investment community, uh, and male-orientated design you know, of systems, approaches and whatever. So lots of different reasons why then then you look at, okay, how can we tackle all of these? I mean, Trinity has an overarching gender action plan. But if you look at the source of many of our entrepreneurs, they, they come from the individual schools, right? And I think Trinity's made great headway in the adoption of the Athena Swan uh, recognition. Um, if your listeners don't know about that, it's a recognition and reward system for positive gender practices in education. Um, and it's, you know, bronze, silver, gold, type approach. So we've got nearly half our schools on that. Uh, and there's a huge effort to get them up the levels, but also more schools on board. I think it starts there for many of our entrepreneurs in terms of um, female participation. The Also on the student side, which is really important. So the up and coming entrepreneurs and, you know, um, 
Tangent run a great program called Women Who Wow, which is a mentoring program aimed at students. So, you know, from some of our spin outs or our student spin outs as well, you know, who were led by females, bringing them back into the system to mentor uh, students up on that. And we also have a new associate vice provost in the university dedicated to equality, diversity and inclusion, which is really important. In the ecosystem, just outside of Trinity, I mean, it's important that that's supportive as well. And Enterprise Ireland has a dedicated um, support structure for female entrepreneurs, has a strategy around that. And there's dedicated funding of up to 150K put aside for female entrepreneurs and spin-outs. It also runs women in business networks, really important. Um, and there's a competitive startup fund as, as well that specifically calls out uh, female entrepreneurs. So the ecosystem, which and that's just part of it, right? is heading in the right direction for that. Um, the government has also taken an interesting step recently. I mean, it's what it's done is, and it's, it's almost an intervention action. It's created dedicated female-only professorships, 45 of them over three years. The number is small, right? But it's definitely a great step. Dedicated areas where there's a severe, significant under-representation and that, that you know, computer science, uh, physics, um, uh, engineering. Um, and I think that sort of positive affirmative action where it's needed is a really positive step. Trinity's um, ratios, I mean, I think it's just over 30% of its professors are female, 40% of its associate professors. It's not parity, but it's getting there. Um, so I think there's a massive amount to tackle. I don't think, you know, we're halfway down the journey, but you can see the bits coming together across the system. I mentioned role models at the beginning. Um, I think for academics, we have some great role models for academic entrepreneurs. I mentioned Jane Farrar earlier on. There's a list of them there. Um, if you look at investors, right, the VC, the statistic um, that you come across all of the time is that for investment directors, the ones who make decisions in these companies, 89% of them globally are male. I think that's a huge, huge problem uh, and one of the reasons why. And we are really lucky. I mean, if you look at um, Atlantic Bridge, who run our uh, University Bridge Fund. One of the co-founders is Elaine Cochran, and Helen McBreen actually runs the program within there. And Ina Prosser is a great VC uh, leader in Ireland as well. So we've got role models there, and that, that makes all the difference, I think, where, where, where the decisions are made about who to invest in and how to invest. But uh, again, backwards, you know, um, from all of that, um, Trinity College is, you know, very old university, right? 475 years plus. Every 10 years, it, it elects a new provost. And a provost is a chairperson slash CEO. So, you know, pretty powerful in the college, elected by uh, the fellows of the college. So very powerful position. And Trinity this year has elected uh, Professor Linda Doyle, Professor of Engineering and Arts, into that position. Linda takes over uh, the 1st of August, so another couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, that that for for Trinity, that's a sea change. Yeah, that's change. huge. So, I would say, um, and sends a message out, right? So absolutely, um, all of those things. I mean, efforts are being made. I think it's too slow. I think we need more affirmative action, but I can see it building. You know, um, into quite a positive uh, thing. So still a lot of work to do. Well, switching gears again, Declan, I wanted to ask you what organizations like Autumn, LES and others are you and your team involved in and what value do you think they add? I think when I looked around and uh, this, we've got the full set. I think we can put all the cards on the table. So we're members of Autumn, Praxis, ASTP, uh, Licensing Executive Society, UK and Ireland. And uh, we, we have our own organization in Ireland, the Irish Tech Transfer and Licensing Group. Uh, I'm currently the vice chairman of that. Josette Milan from uh, Munster Technological University is the chairperson. 
and uh, the Institute of Directors, which is quite important to us as well. And they're really important. I mean, training for a beginning. So newcomers to the art of um, knowledge transfer, uh, most of the training courses delivered by these organizations, excellent. And it's part of an accreditation as, as well towards um the recognition and that, the sharing best practice, the helplines, the developing new approaches. Also, incredibly important part of this is the policy influence side of it, you know, where these bodies actually get tied into national and international, into European and Irish government level for advice and, and, and policy. So uh, we're very keen on it. We push it a lot. Uh, Sam Williams and our team is a board member of the Lic- Licensing and Executive Society in the UK and Ireland. So it isn't just about being members you know, you, you've got to be active and get involved. Uh, I do a lot of advisory board participation. So IOD was, you know, a, a keen one for me to get involved with. Um, and so, you know, be a member, everybody, and get involved in your organizations. Uh, they're, fun, they're fantastic to work with. So Declan, I wanted to ask your view on credentialing, things like the registered tech transfer professional, the RTTP designation, the certified licensing professional, the CLP designation. In your view, um, do you think this makes a difference? Yeah, clearly. I mean, it it, it makes a difference to the professional standards um, and the visibility of those professional standards to the to to what we do, and also it needs to be relevant to the role, right? This is really important. So, all of our case man- managers, for instance, that I mentioned before, um, all RTTP'd and the rest of the staff. I think there's one that's uh, from the rest that is candidate. Um, I'm candidate at the time I was due to do a submission in two days time and I've missed it so I've got to wait for the oh. next one um and but so I think it's really important well that's I mean that's I I think it, you know that's really important but also it's relevant to the role and I mentioned that for uh, in my own case where I'm spending a lot of time with advisory boards with with the, the University Bridge Fund or I've uh, just been invited to join the Danish spinouts uh Denmark are doing a huge effort to up the quality of their spin-outs and they put together an international advisory board and luckily enough to be invited in that. And I think if you are going to do this work, you need to, as well as your experience, I think it's great to have some sort of credentialing around it um, that adds to the experience. So I spent a lot of time in the last two years getting those credentials in terms of board membership and company direction. So making it relevant to your role is really important, but also externally, it's putting that sort of professional sheen on everything that we do. It's really important. Declan, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would that be? It's tempting, isn't it? Three wishes versus a vision. I yeah, think, I exactly. Think the, I think the easy option is three wishes, right? Because <laughs> then, you, then you're at the first when you ask for a thousand wishes. Don't, that's the old game. Yeah. Um, so I'll opt for the vision realized. Um, I think they have, you know, we have really exciting plans in development team, a high performance team, um, doing some really good stuff in my opinion. And the chance to put those plans into action and it being relevant to the strategy of the university over the next 10 years. So the vision is, you know, that we get to do that and that I get the chance to continue to work with this great team of people. I really enjoy working with them uh, within an environment that supports the activity that we do. So um, that's the simple vision really. Well, best of luck to you and your team in terms of getting that vision realized. I think uh, you guys are off to a great start. So good luck. Thank you very much. And and thanks again for the invite to be on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Well, Declan, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Sure. They can send me an email. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Declan Weldon. I think there's 
I'm the only one. There's only two or three of us in the world, so you can find me. Uh, but D Weldon, D W E L D O N at TCD.ie is the easiest way to get hold of me. Great. Thanks so much again, Declan. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.